I want to start off today by telling a little bit about my story. Surprise, surprise. By the way, this isn't what I do for the first year of my ministry, tell about my story. I talk about my problems all the time. Because I know my problems better than anybody else's problems, right? I'm the world's leading expert on my own testimony, right? Nobody can refute it because, hey, I was there, amen? And and so sometimes that makes people uncomfortable because, like, man, pastor talks a lot about his baggage from the past. But like I said, I use my story because I'm familiar with it. And is for one reason, for another reason, I use my story because I want you to understand I'm not this holier than thou preacher who's standing up on the stage telling you how to do it and, and never experienced life. I mean, I didn't grow up in the church. Okay. I didn't grow up in the church. We, my, my family, not, I'm not saying my, my family's bad because if I do, my dad's sitting right over there today and I'll get beat down. But, um, but you know, we didn't grow up going to church every week or anything like that. You know, so this isn't like I didn't experience life, you know. So when I talk about this being the best way, the right way, man, I, I did it the other way. I know what the other way is. And so it's for you to see that, you know, I'm, I'm a real person too. So when Sarah and I started going to Clarksville Alliance Church, this was the mother church of the church we planted in Clarksville, Tennessee, when we started going there, uh, I'll tell you, honestly, the reason we went is because, you know, we had kids, and Sarah and I had dabbled with church off and on in our married life, and um, and I, I really feel like, this isn't part of the sermon, what I'm getting ready to say, but I really feel like I'm supposed to say it. Like, we even helped get a church planted in Sierra Vista, Arizona. And I wasn't even a Christian and neither was Sarah. And we were pretty sure that the pastor was a moron. You know, because we knew better than him. You know, and I'm not saying that I'm not a moron at this point. I'm just saying that, you know, you can you can do this thing and you can be in church all your life and certainly not be a Christian. Happens all the time. Okay, so we're getting this going again. That's not that's not part of the the story that I want to share. I just really feel like the Lord prompted me to say that for somebody. I don't know why. Um, now, back into what I was talking about. So, so, we're at, so we're at CAC, Clarksville Alliance Church, and, and we, we're starting to go there because of our kids. And it's really, I mean, God's hand was all over this because I had just come back from a deployment to Kosovo, got back after Thanksgiving or right before Thanksgiving, one of the, right before Thanksgiving, and I was supposed to leave before Christmas to go to Afghanistan on another real-world deployment. I was going to be home for less than a month. You know, hooray for being in the Army, you know. Sometimes, sometimes it's good. Sometimes it stinks. But, uh, but my wife was like, you know, let's, let's go to church. And so we decided, and we missed an upgrade to our equipment while we were in Kosovo, and so they end up pulling us off the deployment to Afghanistan so our equipment could get upgraded. So thank you, Jesus, for that, right? Because... What ends up happening is while we're still in Clarksville, my wife's like, let's go to church. Let's go check this out. You know, let's go for the kids. And so we go. And, um, and, and many of you have heard this story about how on April the 15th of 2002, I had a shoulder surgery. My second shoulder reconstruction. And there was a mishap with the anesthesia. And my diaphragm was paralyzed. 
That is when I got saved, while I was laying on that operating room table, conscious, fighting for my life. I've been a Christian for 12 years, and just a little over 12 years, okay? But, so I got saved at that time period, and it's really interesting because one of the things that God was doing inside of Sarah and I as I got saved was working inside of our heart about what that meant to be a believer who trusted in him with everything. Now, I want to rewind to, you know, we had, maybe this is why I brought this up. I want to rewind to Sierra Vista, Arizona back in 1996 when we helped get a church started there. We were, did a brief tour, uh, you know, in this church called Life in Christ. And the reason that we got mad and left is because the pastor started talking about the associate pastor getting a paycheck. And I'm like, well, that's just evil and wrong. You know, I'm like, there, there's no way that's acceptable. You know, he doesn't know what he's doing. We're out of here. Right? So, I, like, I had this baggage with money, you know, uh, and what I thought was proper use of funds at church and all these kind of different things. But anyway, so I get saved. Now, the pastor that I, I got saved under, he, he did talk about giving and things like that, but, that is, but he hadn't been taught. We hadn't been going there, but like just, you know, months, just a couple of months. So he hadn't talked to us about tithing yet. He hadn't talked to us about giving yet. But God just began to lay it on my heart that we were to tithe. That we were to begin to give back to God and to trust Him. Now, the interesting thing, I say give back to God, that's actually inappropriate language. A tithe is not giving. A tithe is returning. Okay, the Scriptures say that the tithe belongs to God. And if you take it and use it on yourself, you're actually stealing from Him, it's His. All the firstborn males also belong to God. But he said, I'll just take the tribe of Levi instead, you know, so that you can keep the firstborn males. I mean, so there's this whole whole thing, you know, that whatever's first, that first part belongs to God. Now, he's working this in my heart. My pastor's not beating me up for this. He's not saying anything. The only thing my pastor had done is asked me at that point what would hinder my witness in my life. This is at the same time period where I quit smoking, where I quit drinking, where I quit chewing all in the exact same day. Not because those are the worst things in the world and, you know, you're hellbound for them or whatever, but because the, Lord's like, because the Lord said to me, you know, you're not gaining credibility by these things. You're not helping anybody, right? And, and so I'm walking through this and, and we're, we start tithing, in, in quotes. Because we do this for the first month and, like, the, the, it didn't add up. The numbers didn't add up. Like, this was totally a trust thing for us, like, we didn't grow up in the church, and we had debt, lots of debt. We had bills, a big stack, and we had more bills than money. And so we start tithing. And after the first month, the Lord says, you know, you didn't tithe. Now, I don't know, I'm not new to this whole thing. Right? I'm like, what do you mean, Jesus? He's like, uh, you you didn't add up everything. That's only your paycheck. That's not this money that comes in from here every month, and that's not this money that comes in from here every month. And and I'm like, again, my pastor's not riding my case. 
You know, my pastor probably would have been happy with what I was doing because I went from nothing to something, right? So, so he's probably not upset at all. But I'm like, oh, and I go to my wife and I'm like, we're not, we're not tithing. She's like, what do you mean? I'm like, we forgot this and this and this. And, and that was substantial and a substantial amount more. And, and I said, I think we're supposed to give, give 10% of that too. So we do that the next month. And by the way, everything, we, be, we were able to pay all the bills. Now, keep in mind, I, I also think part of the reason I quit smoking, drinking, and chewing is because now all of a sudden, you know, the Lord, when he blesses us, when we start tithing, one of the ways he blesses us is to help us to manage our finances better. Amen? You know, and I started looking at stuff that I was, you know, spending my money on, and that's not why I quit. I mean, he just told me, stop, but... You know, I think that's where part of my tithe came from was all of those hundreds of dollars I was spending every month on that stuff. But anyways, I digress. Let me get back into this. So we get to the end of the second month and we're able to pay everything and it's all good. And then the Lord's like, you know, you're still not tithing. And I said, no. You know, now it's like one of those things like, I don't, I'm pretty sure I'm not hearing him because there's no other checks anywhere, you know. There's no other money. But the Lord's just kind of pushing me, pushing me. And he's, and I'm like, so I ask him. God's smart. He knows stuff. And by the way, he'll tell you if you ask. That's what it says in James. So I ask him, like, what do you mean? And the Lord says, you know, you're tithing off of your net income, not off of your gross. Now, you guys know when you, when you tithe off of your, the difference between your net, your take-home pay, and your, and your pre-tax pay is pretty big difference. And like we didn't have money like two months earlier adding up to pay what I originally thought was our tithe, which is now by this point almost double of what I originally thought it was. And I said to my wife, I think we're supposed to do this. So we trusted and we did it. And clearly, let me get you a profile shot. I have not missed a meal. Uh, maybe I should. But... um. But anyways, I, nobody ever told me to do this, okay? Nobody ever told me to do this. I mean, I'd heard a little bit about it, but it wasn't like somebody came to me and said, Jerry, you need to start tithing. This was something that God did in my heart on his own. Amen? Why is this important for you today? Because you cannot do what I'm getting ready to preach about and teach about today, which is tithe, because I stand up here and tell you to do it. Should you do it? Yes. I'm going to say something really crazy. If you're born again and you don't do it, it's sin. Okay? Because you don't trust the Lord. It's a way you're not trusting Him. I'm not saying you don't trust Him totally. I'm saying you don't trust Him in that area. And that's not correct. It's the incorrect way we're supposed to be. Hence, sin. Right? Sin doesn't, when, you, when we stumble and fall in sin, I'm not saying, you know, John, you're evil and you need to be taken out back and flogged. It's just an area where we're falling short of following God and worshiping Him in the proper way. Amen? So this isn't me chunking stones at you. Amen? Okay. So, oh, I digressed here enough that I've forgotten what I was going to say, so let me look at my notes again. So nobody ever told us to do this, you know, and, and I'm not telling you to do it. That's the point, right? I'm not saying, you've got to tithe or get out. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, let the Lord speak to you and if he convicts you to trust him in this way, trust him. Amen? Okay, so 
That's, but having said all that, that's why, you know, nobody taught me this, nobody crammed it in my throat. So I was really surprised after I became a pastor to begin hearing Christians object to tithing. This like surprised me, right? There's a lot of things that, that, that Christians object to or support that surprises me because of how God worked in my own life without some pastor or, or some Bible college telling me. Because remember, I started the ministry. I hadn't been to Bible college yet. That all came later. So, and they, these Christians that I started hearing this from were arguing that tithing wasn't something that was supposed to happen because that was the requirement of the law, the Old Testament law. And New Testament believers, well, we're not under the law. So tithing doesn't apply to us anymore. We don't need to tithe. Now, this was such a weird thing to me because, like, without knowing what the law said about it, without anybody beating me up to do it, God had taught me personally to trust Him in this area and to do it. So I'm like, okay, one of a few options are happening here. Either A, like God is totally inconsistent. And he tells one person one thing and he tells somebody else completely opposite thing. And like God is schizophrenic and we need to walk away from him. Okay. Another possibility is that God is totally consistent And that tithing is something for us to do, but God had not yet given that person or those people who are objecting confidence in it. Right? And then there's probably some other possibilities that were going on. Right? One of the possibilities that I think was happening is that some of those people might have actually been convicted to do it, but tithing is scary. Right? Tithing says, I I got this big stack of bills, but I trust you. Tithing is is a heart condition that says, God, the first thing I'm going to do is tithe and then pay my mortgage. And then pay my car payment. And then buy groceries. Right? I mean, this is scary, and so I think that's what a lot of people, what it is, it's scary, and so it's like, and, and God doesn't want us to be scared, except for the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and he's not taught, and that word doesn't translate reverence, he's talking about the fear of the Lord. Let me just give it to you another way, Jesus said, don't fear him who can only kill the body, but fear him who has the power to send you to hell after the body's dead. Like fear. Like people who say that we're not supposed to fear God haven't read their whole Bible. They've only read parts of it. I'm not saying we need to operate in what we're doing out of fear by any stretch of the imagination, okay? Because I wasn't operating out of fear by trusting Him with my tithe. I'm just saying God is awesome and we should go, <gasps> Wow! You freak me out, God. You know what I mean? Right? Like, so anyways, I, I digress. So they got this idea that, you know, it wasn't, how do we get these differing ideas? I mean, I talked about some possibilities of that, but I want to wrestle with this today. I want to wrestle with the question, is tithing New Testament? Is tithing for today? Is this something that we're supposed to do in the church today? Now, 
before, if there, I don't know if there's anybody here who's relatively new with us. If there is, uh, I've been here for almost nine months. It's the first sermon I preached on tithing. And it was just in the book of Hebrews. Like we're just, I'm preaching through the book of Hebrews from start to finish. We're in chapter seven and it's just there, right? This isn't like I'm going after it, right? As a matter of fact, everything right now financially inside of OCCA is actually going pretty good. I mean, we just put in brand new chairs, $15,000 raised from a special offering. It's pretty good, amen? I mean, the Lord's doing some stuff in our hearts. And so, I, I, you know, it's not, this is not like, you got to give or we're going under, you know? Now, Scott, our current treasurer, and, and Jamie, our new treasurer, you know, they're probably thinking, you know, no, please make sure we stay good in the black. But, you know, and I'm just teasing about that, but... My point is, is that I'm not hitting on this because, you know, oh, we're desperate for money and we need you to give. It's simply what the author of Hebrews is addressing in this section of the book of Hebrews. And I want you to grasp a hold of that. That's why I love verse-by-verse preaching, by the way. Because you get to talk about everything. Sometimes I don't love verse-by-verse preaching that because you get to talk about everything. Like, you know, when I preached on the, you know, we all need to grow up in our faith and quit being babies in the faith, like that's not really the coolest part of the Bible to preach on. But when you're preaching verse-by-verse, well, you got there, you got to, you got to, you're like, But this is the good thing about verse-by-verse preaching because this isn't my agenda. Amen? And that's the last thing I'm going to say about that. This isn't my agenda, it's his. All right. So what does the author of Hebrews say about tithing? Go ahead and open your Bibles up to Hebrews chapter 7, starting in verse 4. And we're going to see what the author of Hebrews says about tithing. Now I'm going to be, <laughs> I'm laughing about what I'm getting ready to say because my small group leader actually said this last week at small group. And I'm like, well, at least one thing's sticking with us. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. You might be reading from a different translation. That's okay. They're all just translations. <laughs> so, what I, and the reason I say that week in and week out is sometimes people think like the King James Version or this version or this version is like the only good version. That's not accurate. The New Testament was written in Koine Greek. And so anything you read in English is not the original. It's a translation of the original. And we don't want to get caught up and beating up somebody for the translation they use. All right, so here's what it says in the ESV. God's translation. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> so that's where it, we'll soundbite that I'm kidding part out. Um, See how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the spoils? And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have their commandment in the law to take tithes from the people. That is from their brothers, though these were also descended from Abraham. But this man, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes. And Abraham, from, excuse me, from Abraham, and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, Tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by the one of whom it is testified, he lives. One might even say that Levi himself who receives tithes, paid tithes 
through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. So let's pray and let's dig into this. Amen. Father, you are awesome. You are holy, you are righteous, and you are good. And Lord, we wrestle through a tough section of scripture about a controversial issue, money. But Lord, you're not afraid of it. And so we shouldn't be afraid of it, looking at it and see what you say about it. Lord, we ask that today that this sermon would, Lord, be processed internally by each one of us in our heart and that you would speak to us through your Holy Spirit and we would know what you would have us to do in this area. And it's Jesus, in, in Jesus' name we pray. God's people said, Amen. So in last week's message, I pointed out the likelihood that Melchizedek, who this is about here, and Jesus were actually one and the same person. That Melchizedek, that who Abraham is paying the tithes to there, was actually Jesus. Right? Remember that? I mean, it says that in one case, talking about the Levites, the tithes are received by mortal men. But in the other case, Melchizedek, by the one of whom it is testified he lives. We know it's testified that Jesus is the one that lives. Amen? So, and we did, and I'm not going to go back all over all of that, but because this has got a ton of implications. And we wrestled with that in our sermon-based life groups. But um, some of those implications, but... But one of the implications for our faith about this is really in the regards to tithing. Because the author of Hebrews makes a pretty strong suggestion here. The author of Hebrews says that Melchizedek slash Jesus receives our tithes in heaven as we tithe on earth. In the one case, the tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by the one of whom it is testified that he lives. On the surface, it seems like a bizarre thing for the author to point out. I mean, why, after telling us to move on to deeper things, remember, chapter 5 into chapter 6, he's like, let's move on to deeper stuff. Let's get into the meat of, of Christianity. Let's get into the meat of our faith. Why are we talking about tithing And when it comes to Melchizedek? Now, to be fair... When you get to wrestling with the rest of chapter 7 of, of, of Hebrews, a lot of the talk about Melchizedek has to do with establishing the, the legitimacy of Jesus as our great high priest apart from the law. A lot of that does. To be fair, I want to just tell you that on the front side, okay? But those are for future sermons, and I'm not going to go over those today, okay? But this, <clears throat> but why talk about tithing at all when you're talking about this, Right? Now, one of the things that I think that comes out of this about tithing, and it's one of the things that I don't think many people understand. When you tithe, you are not giving your money to Jerry Breedlove or to the elders or to OCCA. When you give an offering over and above your tithes, you're not giving it to the Great Commission Fund. You're giving it to Jesus. In tithing and offering, if I, I want to teach you something here about tithing and offering. I don't ever want you to give money to OCCA. Not ever. If you are giving money to OCCA, stop it. I would say this, it's sin. I want you to give it to Jesus. 
Because you'll give to Jesus in ways you would never dream about giving to OCCA. I want you to give it to Jesus. Because you will give to Jesus for missions in ways that you would never dream about giving to different missions organizations. I want you to give it to Jesus because you'll do things for Jesus that quite frankly you won't do for Keith or John or me or Ron or Fran. In the one case, the tithes are received by mortal men. Okay, so we, in, in another way to look at this is we give it to our local church. We give it to our denomination. We give it to uh, our missions groups that we support, Heart for Uganda or, or the Great Commission Fund or this missionary or that missionary. So in the one case, the tithes are received by mortal men. It's like that's the channel with which we give it. But on the other hand, of the one of whom it is testified, he lives. Like you're not just giving to support a ministry. You're giving and returning to God your tithes. You're giving and returning this to the king of all the universe. And you'll do stuff for Jesus you wouldn't dream about doing for me. Amen? Now, Another reason the author of Hebrew brings up the subject of tithing in reference to Abraham and Melchizedek is because Abraham is the one who brought it up first by actually doing it. Like, the author brings up tithing when it comes to Melchizedek because Abraham tithed to Melchizedek. He's just talking about what happened. Amen? Like, Abraham is the one who brought it up. Now, this is really important, really important, because, I don't know, this is about 430 years before the law. This kind of bears remarkable similarities to my own story. And I'm not trying to suggest that I'm like a new Abraham, okay, by any stretch of the imagination. But this bears remarkable similarities to my story. Abraham, out of the abundance of his heart, before there was a requirement in the law to tithe, gives a tithe. Now, some people like to argue what that, well, well, that it was just offering, it was just something small. No, actually the Hebrew word is masara, and it literally means one-tenth. That's the literal translation of the Hebrew word masara. And don't beat me up for my Hebrew pronunciation, but uh, for those of you Hebrew geniuses. But, There was no law on tithing when Abraham did this. Abraham wasn't trying to fulfill some part of the Jewish covenant with God. Israel didn't exist as a nation yet, amen? Did you guys know that, amen? Like Genesis, there's no Israel, amen? Like at this point in the book of Genesis. Israel... Israel was actually one of Abraham's descendants, Jacob, who wrestled with God and was redeemed. And its name means redeemed. Israel means redeemed. This is before all of that happened. This is before Moses led the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt some 400 years later. And then received the law on Mount Sinai. This is a response of the grateful heart of, of Abraham. But, but I'm getting ahead of myself. In Genesis 15, 6, and in Romans 4, 3, and, and there's other places where it says this in the Bible, we're told that Abraham believed God. 
and it was credited to him as righteousness. I could go through a myriad of examples of the ways that Abraham believed God, like, you know, for his offspring and for all these different things. But the example that the author of Hebrews is currently using about how Abraham believed God is in Abraham's faith-filled response to God's allowing Abraham to rescue Lot. Because that's what the story is about when Abraham is given a tithe to Melchizedek, who I'm arguing is Jesus, right? So the story is about Abraham going and rescuing Lot. Now, the basic story here in Genesis 14, I believe, or 15, whichever one it is, is, um, is that there are five kings and their armies who go out against four other kings and their armies. Five against four. Okay? And the kings that go out, the five kings that are unified together go out and they get their butts handed to them by the four kings. They get whooped like the bully on the playground that got theirs. You know, I mean, they got spanked. They got whooped so bad that the king of Sodom, where Lot is at, he like loses his whole people. Like they get taken captivity. Lot gets taken captivity. He is now a POW, right? And he is carried off. Him, his whole household, all of his goods, and all, whole household, and all of his goods, all of these things are, are carried off. And the story tells us, and this is historical fact, not fiction. This isn't some parable that was made up. This is really how it happened. Abraham took 318 people from his own house who were trained. And he goes after the four kings and their armies who, who have done whoop five kings and their armies. I mean, talk about insurmountable odds. He goes after a bigger force that is seasoned, that has had victory. I mean, they're on a winning streak. Right? And he goes after them to get Lot and to, and to recover all of this stuff. And and it's pretty much a miracle that happens. Because Abraham wins. Amen? God gets involved and Abraham wins. Let's try again. God gets involved and Abraham wins. Okay? God gets involved and he wins. And and this is just this amazing miracle that happens. And Abraham, I believe, recognizes it as such. Abraham doesn't come back like, dang, I'm good. I got me and Keith would hope I would say the Navy SEALs, but I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say Delta Force. <laughs> no. <laughs> but he comes back, he's like, it wasn't like I got me and the special forces here and we're coming back and we're victorious and look at how bad we are. We're some bad mamma jammas. No. I think he comes back and he recognizes this is a pretty pretty awesome miracle. I mean, God got involved. We should have got our tails handed to us. But we went out and did this and we won. And, and so he's coming back and Melchizedek comes out to meet him. And what's Melchizedek do? He puts before him something after Abraham does something first. Okay. 
Abraham decides to worship and honor God by offering up a tithe of everything he recovered. Before Abraham gives anything back to anybody, Abraham's like, it's all mine. Spoils of war, baby. It's all mine. If you read the story, you can go on and read this historical account, and the kings are like, hey, da-da-da, and Abraham, after he gave the tithe, said, I don't want any of your stuff. I don't want you to say you made me rich. God is the one who's taking care of me. I don't want you to say that you did it. God's, God's got my back. But he gives away. But while it's all his, he takes a tithe of it and gives it to Melchizedek, who we're told is priest of God most high. There's no law that's commanded this. It's simply the God-glorifying response of a grateful heart worshiping the God of all the universe. I don't think you got it. Like you guys are looking at me like, like bumps on a log today. Okay? There's no law that's requiring this. It is simply the God-glorifying response of a grateful heart as he worships the God of all the universe. He didn't get told he had to do this. The priest didn't say, you better give up a tithe, boy. No. He was excited about who his God was. He recognized where his provision came from. And he said, God... I love you and I want to glorify you and honor you and worship you with my life. You see, tithing, it's not about fulfilling some legal requirement in order to gain a better standing with God. It is an act of worship that proceeds from a grateful heart. And it's not about what the prosperity theologians teach either. Now listen to me. I'm going to tell you something that's going to sound fairly prosperity theology, but it's not. Okay? Scripture tells us that if we trust God with our finances, He will take care of every need. He will pour out a blessing that we cannot hold. Okay? That is not a motive to give, though. And that's what prosperity theologians teach. Give so you can get. Look, if you're giving so that you can get, God is not in heaven going, oh, praise the Lord. Because if he was, he'd be going, oh, praise the Lord. My people got the concept of greed. Hallelujah. They're giving so that they can get more. Oh, pray, Jesus, spirits, aren't we proud? They have greed down. Yay. And all the angels are rejoicing. No, no, it's not that way at all. It's a benefit of giving. But it's never the motive. See, tithing is not about what we can get from God, better footing with God or or a bunch of material stuff in return, but is instead about how we tangibly show that we love and trust God. But like I mentioned, when we love and trust God in this way, He does take care of us. Now, the thing that I think is really cool when I preach sermons like this any sermon, is when stuff starts happening in my life and I don't realize why it's happening until I'm preparing a sermon. See, it was just a little while ago that I did a funeral. And the day of the funeral, I get to the funeral home and and this is the second funeral that I've done since I've been here. My car breaks down. My radiator's cracked. And somebody that will remain unnamed offers to take my car to the mechanic. Now, 
First of all, my wife is really kind of freaking out on me about this offer because she's like, man, what's the likelihood they're taking it to the mechanic that we want? Because, my, because we're really particular in Oil City. We really feel like this one mechanic has done us very well. Well, the person was taking it to the same mechanic. You know, which is awesome to begin with. But I, God's showing up and I'm standing there and, and I can't really do anything about this. And this person's like, here, just take my car, do what you got to do. I'll handle getting this down there and getting it fixed. No problem. So get a call from the mechanic. Hey, your radiator's cracked. It's going to cost over $300 to fix. And then it's like this whole, you know, do we want to take it out and fix it ourselves? And I mean, I'm overwhelmed with life and work. And I'm like, I can't do it. I don't have time to do it. I said, just put it in. I'll pay for it. It's no big deal. I go down to pick up my car after it gets fixed the next week. And he says, I don't have the paperwork ready. Now, my mechanic, I think that's the first time he's ever lied to me. He said, I don't have the paperwork ready. And I said, okay. He goes, dude, just take, I'll get you the bill later. And I, I trust you. And I said, okay. I didn't realize he was not telling me the truth. Somebody had went in because they felt the Lord told them to, paid to have my car fixed. Now, we just trust God with our tithe. And God knew we were getting to this part of the book of Hebrews. So he does this in my life. And, it, and listen, if over $300 isn't a lot of money, give me $300. I learned that from my dad, by the way. That works with any amount of money. If $20 is not a lot of money, give me 20 bucks, right? That's what my dad used to say to me when I wanted money. I'm like, hey, come on, dad, 10 bucks isn't that much. He was like, if it ain't that much, give me 10 bucks, right? But so somebody did this, right? Really awesome, I think, you know? And I didn't, and, I'm, and my wife and I were praising the Lord and we're thankful for it and we figured out who did it and they didn't do it for us to figure out who did it. We figured it out when later on I had, took my car down there to have them look at my four-wheel drive, and, and, and uh, my mechanic couldn't figure out what was wrong with it. He worked on it for hours. He didn't charge me anything for that either. And I went down there to pick it up, and I'm like, dude, where's my bill? And he said, uh, somebody else paid it. And I'm like, okay, my mechanic lied to me for the first time ever when he told me that the bill wasn't ready. But I'm like, I'm cool with that. And I said, well, tell him thanks. And then I figured out, and it's neither here nor there. So I get my car back and I'm going down to Allegheny Center Alliance Church to be teaching on raising leaders for the harvest. And you got to understand, when you teach at PBI, which is what Stacy and Dave are in, when you go down there, I mean, you're getting wealthy. No, not really. <laughs> you know, there's not a lot of money in this. And so my daughter goes down with me for the last class. And on the way home, my door, my driver's side door, like I'm, you know, driving down the road. And you're like, like that door's not shut. So I open the door and, Boom. Boom. We're doing 65 down the interstate. And I'm like, boom. 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 Silence. Ooh, nice. I'm like, man, why was my door stuck like that? What I don't realize is I am beating the striker off of my body, of my inside where the door latches, and I have just now collapsed this part of my door where it latches. I've collapsed it and just totally trashed the whole thing. I had no idea that's what was going on because I'm dumb, okay? <laughs> or because God wanted it crushed. I mean, I look at it now, God wanted it crushed. 
He knew what he knew what we were going to be talking about today. I, I believe he did it. So, anyways, I digress. Let me speed up here because I'm getting a little bit behind. So, I, I get this fixed and I get it. Uh, I take it up to the. Well, I'm trying to get it fixed, and we're in an elder meeting, and I say something about, man, I've crushed this striker, and it's just, oh, it's ridiculous, and who knew, and da 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 and, and so I end up taking it, I talk to Fran, says, hey, take it to this guy, and, and tell him I'm your pastor, and all this stuff, and I said, okay, because the guy doesn't, he's not a body shop, but he does some stuff, and so Fran's like, your in will be, you're my buddy, you know, and so maybe he'll have time to do it, I'm like, all right, cool. So this guy, I call him on the phone, he's like, I don't really have time but then he decides he really wants to take a look at it at least. So we take it over. We drop it off. And I tell him before, I said, hey, when you look at it, dude, I don't care if you paint it back the right color. You know, it's inside when the door's shut. Ain't nobody going to see it. And by the way, when I look at it now, I mean, I get in there and I open it. I don't even notice it. So he paints it back black after he welds it all back up, gets it all fixed. He said the bushings, you know, they were thinking the bushings were bad in the door. He's like, no, the bushings weren't bad. They just needed tightened up and all this stuff, and he calls me and says, just come pick it up. I said, okay, how much money do I owe you? He goes, nothing, man. It's supposed to be my offering to the Lord. Really? Here we're, this is like a week and a half ago, like two weeks ago at the most. We're, we're galloping up. No, it's all, no, I got this back last Saturday, so it's just a week and a day ago. We're, we're galloping up to the sermon on giving, and, and about trusting God and saying, if we trust God, God will take care of us. And twice in a month, God is taking care of us. Now, what you guys don't know is that my wife has really been stressing about money for the last few months. And I'm not trying to pick on my wife because we permanently lost forever for the rest of our lives $600 worth of income every month. When this is all happening, but we didn't change anything we were doing. We just kept trusting God and tithing. Amen? Then on Thursday, I'm going to, to take Christy, McCandless and I are going to go over to Pizza Hut and, and eat while we're doing some coaching meeting and everything. I said, I'll buy your lunch. So we're sitting there, and uh, the waitress comes to the table. I, she wasn't even our waitress. I don't know who she was. I'm going to have to ask Missy later who it is. She comes and she says, I need to give you this. It's been taken care of. Now, we're looking around, and there is, there is nobody in the restaurant that either one of us recognize. I don't know if somebody stealthed in and stealthed out. I'm not really sure what's happening. But the Lord is like, look, I'm putting this kind of stuff in people's hearts because I want you to be able to stand up this week and tell them, if you trust me, I'll take care of you. Now, I'm not going to ruin, and I'm not going to tell you any of this story, but next week, Steve and Rachel Smith are going to come up on the stage and God was doing something pretty cool in their heart in regards to giving. And Rachel says, hey, I, this is going on in my heart and I'm not going to tell you the story. It's a pretty cool story about what the Lord's doing in their heart about them trusting God and giving and something really neat that's going to affect our church for a long time to come, I believe. A really neat thing, that a ministry idea they've come up with as the Lord was speaking to them. And I'm like, Wow. God's pretty cool. He knows what's going on. Like if I had any doubts that we're supposed to talk about this today, it kind of clears it up. Amen? Amen. So like God takes care of us when we trust him. And he's doing this not just in my life, but he's doing this in the, in the lives of other people. 
Now, I want to point this out again, that tithing often provides tangible benefits in our lives, but these are never to be used as a motive for tithing. Let me give you one more real quick story to to point out why. Okay, Larry Williams, he's one of my best friends in the world. He does not care that I tell this story. When he very first started tithing, he didn't do it because the Lord convicted him. He did it because he heard that if you give, you get rich. So Larry would tithe to get. And when things were getting tight, Larry would throw in an extra 100 or $200 in the offering plate like it was, I don't know, a slot machine or something, you know? My friend went bankrupt for the second time while he was doing this. The first time they did the bankruptcy, like the restructuring bankruptcy. The second time this was going so poorly that, and he's over and above tithing, and he goes into financial ruin. And God said, Larry, you can't give to get. That's greed. Larry walked away from that at this point. You know, this was years ago. 10, 11 years ago, 12 years ago. Larry, at this point, he's a tither for a different set of reasons. And God has restored all of those things in his life. He has a nice house. He's got, he's got a nice wife. He's got a couple of thug kids. I mean, um, no, he's got good kids. <laughs> no, I'm just picking. But um, if they hear the sermon, they're going to beat me up. But anyways, well, I mean, God restored all of these things in his life. When Larry said, you know what? God, I'm sorry. I repent from this. And I want to I do this for the right thing. I'm saying this because this is critical. You've got to understand this. You cannot give so that you can get. Because there's no promise there. If you give to get, you go broke. You get heartache and trouble. Okay? Giving to get is, is greed. So, how does this play out practically in our lives in a New Testament context? Well, here's how I think it plays out. When we have a grateful heart, overflowing with love, we want to bring an offering. My friend who took care of my vehicle had had a grateful heart, overflowing with love. God moved in their heart, this couple's heart, and they brought an offering of love to God. Not to me, but to him. It was a response of their love to Jesus. Rachel and Steve really personify this with what they're going to share next week about this grateful heart talking about the thanks offering and being thankful to god and and giving out of those things when we have a grateful heart that loves god it's an overflow offerings and tithing are an overflow of that we want to bring an offering my god glorifying response after i got saved i wanted to bring something of worth to god as I considered what to bring to God, my heart naturally, naturally settled, settled on bringing a tithe, a full 10% of my gross income to God. I, I already told you how I got to the 10%. God did this in my heart. Why 10%? Why did God do that? Why 10%? There's several reasons why. First, tithing, 10%, has always been the amount that God has placed in people's heart. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Say that with me. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13, 8. He doesn't change. He is not different in the Old Testament as He is in the New Testament. He placed in the heart of Abraham 10%. That's what He does. Right? He hasn't changed. It, it wasn't Moses 
was told, tell the people to bring a tithe. Right? Tell the people to bring a tithe. Why 10%? Again, why, why a tithe? Ten numbers are important in Scripture. Like the number seven. You guys know what the number seven is? It, what's that? It, it's the number of perfection. You know what the number eight is? New beginnings. Right? Because that's the new beginning of the new week. I mean, numbers have a significance. And if you go and look up the number 10, things happening 10 times, it's the number of testing. How many plagues in Egypt? What? How many, uh, how many commandments? Okay, how many disciples? 12. That's a trick question. <laughs> how many times was Jacob's wages changed by Laban? Yes. Who said it? Somebody said it. I heard it. I mean, you, and you may have guessed it, but this is over and over and over again. Ten is the number of testing. It's the number of testing. Okay? This isn't, this isn't my number. This is the number God came up with. It wasn't until modern times that people began shying away from the 10% saying the new covenant overrode the law. However, Jesus said these words, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Check it out. Nobody really likes to hear this. You guys will. I'm talking about other people. (laughs) For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. King James Version. Not one jot or tittle will go out of it until all is accomplished. Have heaven and earth passed away yet? Let's try it again. Fast. Have heaven and earth passed away yet? No. So is the law still it, still there, all intact? Yes. That's right. The law was not a means to righteousness. The law defines for us what proper response to God looks like. I mean, Jesus says the entire law hangs on two commands. Love the Lord your God with everything you got and love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? What is tithing? It's a loving response to God out of a grateful heart. Loving God with all we've got. Okay, but but oh, you know, oh, you know, it's it's the new it's the New Testament. We're under grace. We're not under the law. So so let's look at something besides that to see if this actually works, right? Okay. Under the law, what was the seventh commandment? Thou shalt not commit adultery. Okay. So under the law, it was wrong to have an extramarital affair on your wife. Amen? Okay. So is that now right under grace? To have an affair? Hmm. Okay. Under the law, it was wrong to murder. Is it now correct under grace to murder? No. But those are law requirements, right? Like, the law doesn't apply anymore. That's what people say. I'm not saying you say that. I'm saying other people say that. Right? Is it right to love our neighbor under the law? Is it right to love our neighbor under the law? Is it now wrong to love our neighbor? Okay. Is it right to help orphans under the law? Is that now wrong? Because... Religion that God finds faultless is to take care of orphans and widows in their distress, right? Okay. If it was right under the law, isn't it still right under grace? Can I get it? Yes or no? 
If it was right under the law, isn't it still right under grace? And if it was wrong under the law, isn't it still wrong under grace? Kind of. Because under the law, you couldn't commit adultery. But Jesus said, you've heard it was written in days of old, you should not commit adultery. But I tell you, if you even look with lust, you're guilty of adultery already in your heart. So like under the law, you couldn't commit adultery. And under grace, you can't even think about it. Jesus said, you've heard it was written in days of old, you shall not murder. But I tell you, whoever says raka or you fool or is angry without cause is liable to judgment because they're guilty of murder already in their heart. Like I can't even get mad and go, Jared, you're an idiot. That's like murder in my heart. Like I can't even think about it. Friends, grace doesn't require less. Grace requires more. If it was wrong under the law, it's still wrong under grace. And if it's light under, or if it's right under the law, it is still right under grace. But the reality is, is if it was wrong under the law, wait a minute, that says the same thing twice. What that bottom one's supposed to say, I'm really trying to drive that point home. What that bottom one's supposed to say is that if it was wrong under the law, to even contemplate it is wrong under grace. Like grace requires more, not less. In the Christian and Missionary Alliance, which we're a part of, and I like it, I like being a part of the Alliance. If I didn't like being a part of the Alliance, I'd leave the Alliance. We have a core value. Core value number three says this, and this church put it on the church website before I ever came. I had nothing to do with this. Everything we have belongs to God. We're only His stewards. See, under the law, it was 10%. But under grace, God wants it all. The, The family that took care of my vehicle, I believe they're probably a tithing family. And when God asked them to give more than a tithe, they gave it. Because everything they have is His. This is the thing that needs to sink in. This isn't about keeping the law. This is about saying, God, I love you. God, I trust you. God, everything I have is yours. And I will follow you with it. God, if you tell me you want my life, I'll give you my life. You tell me you want my service, I'll give you my service. You tell me that you want me to quit doing something, I'll stop doing that. You tell me you want me to start doing something, I'll start doing that. Everything I have belongs to you. Under the law, we were groping for God. We were trying to do through the sacrifices of animals what Jesus did perfectly. Guys, the New Testament concept of Christianity is not freedom. I mean, we talk about the freedom, but it's not freedom in the sense that we're not anybody's man. No, it's the concept of freedom that we are bought The word Christian, I've told you this before, I'll tell you this again, I'll show you a word study on it. The word Christian does not mean little Christ, it does not mean follower of Christ, it doesn't mean any of those nice things, it means slave of Christ. It's Christianos, 
It's from the Greek word Christos, which means the anointed one. And the Ionos is of Latin origin, and it carries with it the connotation of being owned by the one whose name precedes it. Read the New Testament. It says, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. You are a blood-bought child of the king. He owns everything that you have. It's all his. And when we have a grateful heart, we say, God, you can have it all. The really cool thing is, if we will trust him and return to him the tithe, he doesn't care what we do with the other 90%. Want a new motorcycle, Rob? Get permission from your wife and then buy one. (laughs) Yeah, God doesn't care. You want a new boat? Go get a new boat. You want to move away from that Gretsch and get a good guitar? Go ahead. I'm just picking Mark. (laughs) It's all good. You want a nice house? Go for it. But when he says, hey, use your house to host a summer fellowship. Okay, Jesus. Hey, use your Gretsch guitar to lead worship. All right, Jesus. Hey, use your motorcycle to do an outreach for uh, We Will Ride and to go raise some money for a, a, a women's abuse shelter. Okay, Jesus, see what I'm saying? God God doesn't want 10%. He doesn't want 10% of you. He wants all of you. But you know how I am. Don't take my word for it. Monday, Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9 for homework. This teaches uh, that it's by faith, not law-keeping we live. This is important, okay, because God uh, says, because God says so is merely trying to keep the law. If we do something because God says so, we're just trying to keep the law. God doesn't bless this, but when we tie that a trust, it's good. Now, this isn't necessarily about tithing. Monday three one through nine tithing is an application of it, but it's about our motive. We do stuff because we trust God and we love God. Okay. Tuesday, James two fourteen through twenty six. Faith without works is dead. Some people say, well, I trust God, so I don't have to tithe. I think if you were talking to James, James said, oh, well, you tell me you have trust and and don't tithe, and I'll show you I trust by tithing. Right? So that's Tuesday. Wednesday, 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 15. The uh, The Corinthian church is encouraged to give generously out of a heart of love in response to their God. Right? Again, motive for giving. Thursday, Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. This very short one. This tells us the benefits of giving, not the motive. Friday, Malachi 3, 6 through 12. It's the only thing we can test God in. And Saturday, the crown jewel of all the scriptures showing tithing is still right. Jesus says in verse 42 that we should tithe. People want to focus on this on this Saturday, Luke eleven thirty seven through forty four. They want to focus on Jesus. Says, "Oh, you are careful to tithe mint, dill, and cumin. You should have, you know, but you neglect justice, grace, and mercy." And they say, "Oh, see, it's not about that." No, but then he goes on in verse forty two. He says, "You should have done the lat- the former without neglecting to do the latter." He doesn't say, "Don't tithe and be nice to people." Instead, he says. I want everything you got. 
I don't want just your tithe. I want all of you. I want you to stop being a turkey and I want you to love people and all of these things. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we ask that this message on tithing and biblical giving would sink into people's hearts the way that you want. And we ask that you would work in ways that only you can. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said...